Today I want to share with you a message that I've titled, Taken, Blessed, Broken, and Given. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, find your way to Luke chapter 9. And I just want to ask a question as we get started off here today. Have you ever given input into a need only to be asked later to help meet that need? There are times in my life, I know, when I've simply set out to give some advice on a particular topic, but then in a totally sort of unexpected way, my advice that I extend to someone else turns into an invitation from the person that I was advising to take on some task that wasn't even on my radar. Some, some of you might call that putting your foot in your mouth. And I will say that I, if that's the case, I know well the taste of my toes, okay? Because I have this great tendency to study up on things that I think could be improved and then to offer some suggestions based on my findings. Let, let me give you an example of that. I remember when Amy and I settled into a new church with our only child at that time, back in the year 2007. I had been teaching students and then adults in Sunday school for a couple of years in a mainline church where we'd been heavily involved, but we'd also sensed that the denomination that our church was a part of was getting very far from the biblical truth. They were, they were definitely heading down a path that was leading away from biblical faithfulness. So we began to search for, and we found a new church home at Woodbine Baptist Church over in Mayadad. Uh, we were new members at that church, but we weren't quite new to this idea of serving in a church because, like I'd mentioned, we'd been pretty heavily involved in a church before that. And we were fairly young. I was only 26 years old at the time. But if you know me, you, you know that I have a hard time going into something without going all in. So even though I had only taught a couple of Sunday school classes for a couple of age groups for a fairly short bit of time up to this point, as a result of those experience, I'd already done some pretty deep digging into what Sunday school curriculum was available for various classes and various age ranges. And when I learned that there was this new Sunday school curriculum that was coming out at that time when I had joined this new church for college-age students from my favorite publisher, I typed up the details of that new curriculum and I sent them over to the pastor and to the teachers of our new church's college-age class. Now, let me clarify that I was not at that time a teacher. I was not at that time college-aged and I had only been at this church for four months. I'd only been a member of this church for three months. And I looked back on that email this morning and just read over it. And I thought, if I was on the other end of that email, I probably would have said, who on earth do you think you are? But I was just trying to offer some helpful suggestions. Anyhow, I didn't get much response from that email until six months down the road when Jim Cruz, who was my pastor at the time, approached me and asked if I would be willing to take on the role of Sunday school director for a Sunday school program that had 14 classes and 30 teachers. I had no idea really what a Sunday school director did at that time. I was just trying to offer a helpful suggestion. 
I didn't want to be leading anything. But sure enough, I ended up directing that church's Sunday school program for eight or so years in the aftermath of that experience. And I just wonder, have you ever had any experiences like that? Have you ever had situations where you've seen a need and you've spoken to a need only to have someone tell you, well, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you make a difference in that area? When it comes to serving Christ, I have noticed, and some of you have noticed as well, that churches can attract a lot of people who are willing to give advice. Lots of folks have lots of ideas on how needs within the church can be met. And lots of folks have lots of ideas on how needs in the community can be met through the church. But it's often the case that these same folks have no intentions of stepping up to help meet the needs that they perceive. I know about this problem because sometimes I am this problem, okay? But do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's just so much easier to say, you know, somebody should do something about this problem. This is a real need that somebody ought to address. But God has called us together to make a difference in the needs of the world. And I think so often we miss the fact that God's choice instrument to meet the world's needs through his power are the very people that we encounter in the mirror each morning as we are brushing our teeth. And today's passage will be a familiar one to many of you. We're going to look at a miracle that's known as the feeding of the 5,000. It's a miracle that shows so well the power of Jesus to meet human needs, real human needs, and to make something out of nothing. It's an important miracle, to be sure. As a matter of fact, there are only two miracles that are repeated in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is one of those miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. The other one is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That ought to give a little gravity to our understanding of what this miracle meant to the early church, how important it was to these earliest of disciples. But if we look a little closer at this miracle, we're going to find that Jesus wasn't just out to wow the crowds with his abilities. Through this miracle, Jesus teaches his disciples some very important lessons about how we ought to be involved in meeting the needs of others. And in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus teaching his disciples. He's teaching those of us who follow him. He's teaching us a lesson about how we ought to be the ones stepping up to meet the needs of this world that we perceive. And this should be a lesson for all of us. Do you see people in need around you? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then there's a good chance that Jesus wants you to help meet the need. But there's a key truth that we're going to see in action today, and it's this. Jesus calls his disciples to meet the needs of others by sharing his compassion and relying on his power let me say that one more time jesus calls his disciples to meet the needs of others by sharing his compassion and relying on his power 
If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll be starting in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 10. And here's what Luke reveals for us today. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he, that is Jesus, withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that we may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go to buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. You may be seated. Here's the end of the reading of God's word. And the, the phrase, I believe, that draws our attention most in this passage is, is the phrase that Jesus speaks in his command to his disciples in verse 13. Now his disciples have seen ultimately that there is a need that needs to be met. They've seen that there's this huge crowd of people who are gathering together and the day is drawing late and they need food and they need a place to stay. And it's time for those people to go about finding those things. The day is now waning. We read in verse 12 that the day was ending, which likely means that we're talking around 3 o'clock or later in the day. The sun will soon be setting. And so Jesus' disciples come up with some advice about what needs to be done to help meet the need that they perceive. And so they say in G to Jesus in verse 12, send the crowd away that they may go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for we are in a desolate place. That word desolate just means that they're in a place that's not really all that populated. They're in a place that really doesn't have a lot of options for food. John's gospel makes it clear that there's much green grass in this area, for that's what the people end up sitting down on, but there's not much else other than that. There's no Bethsaida McDonald's here out in the countryside. Not even a Bethsaida Checkers Grill and Grocery, okay? They're just left here in this desolate place without these things. If the people stay here much longer, the kids are going to start crying out with those words we've all heard one too many times, which are the words, what? I'm hungry, that's right. That's right, and the teenagers are going to turn into unfed zombies right some of you have teenagers in your house and you know how this happens right you don't feed a teenager the zombie mode breaks out but the disciples see a need here 
And so they give advice on how to meet the need. But their advice indicates that ultimately they want somebody else to deal with this problem. Send the people away, they say. Let the people in the surrounding villages and the countrysides give them something to eat. They're essentially saying this is a real need and somebody needs to do something about it. But then in verse 13, Jesus turns the tables on his disciples. For he tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. And in these verses, Jesus teaches his disciples, and he teaches all of us, four lessons on how to minister to those in need. First of all, we encounter here a lesson on compassion. There's a lesson on compassion. Verse 10 here starts off with, when the apostles returned. Now let's just set the stage here for just a minute. The apostles are those 12 disciples that Jesus has called to follow him and to spend time with him in this intense ministry training during his earthly ministry. And the Greek word apostle is really a word which in the original Greek language simply meant to send out. The ones who were sent out is what the apostles were. Which is in fact what Jesus did with the disciples in the opening verses of chapter 9, those verses that we looked at last week. He sent his disciples out for their first bit of independent ministry. They've been training with him for a good while now, but now they have come to the point in their ministry where Jesus is ready to launch them out of the nest so that they can go on and proclaim the good news of his kingdom. And so Jesus empowers them to heal those who are sick. He empowers them to drive out demons, and then he sends them out essentially into what is their own backyard. They're in the area of Galilee. This is where Jesus has spent the better part of his ministry, at least in Luke to this point. He's been in the area of Galilee. It's the place where so many of these guys are from. They've been out in their backyard. They've been engaged in ministry. They've been going from one village to another. And Jesus has put some pretty strict provisions on how they are to carry about this work which they are carrying out. Jesus wants them ultimately to to rely on him to meet their needs. And so Jesus tells them, for example, don't take another coat with you. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't take with you any money. Stay in the place where you go and and remain there until you are done with your ministry in that village. So these disciples have just returned from several days of intense ministry to people with severe needs that required them to stay with strangers, that required them to rely on the Lord for everything. And I can only imagine that the disciples at this point in their lives must be pretty exhausted. They've been through several days of this intense ministry. Most of you know what it's like to spend several days out of town. When you come back from several days away from home, you're exhausted. You just want to sleep in your own bed for a change. I tend to get that way when I go on vacation. But here the disciples weren't on vacation. They'd been on a trip that required much time and much energy. They'd wrapped themselves up in ministering to others. They had to rely on the provisions of others. They couldn't even take their own clothes. Now if I came back from a trip like that, I'd want some rest. And that's what Jesus sets out to provide his disciples here in verse 10. After they return and give him account of all that they've done, he takes them with him and he, and he withdraws into the outskirts of the city known as Bethsaida, 
as we read later in the latter parts of verse 10. Now Mark's gospel sheds a little bit more light on what Jesus was doing after he took his disciples away. Mark chapter 6 verses 30 to 32 we read, The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. And, and Mark records, For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. You see, the disciples needed a break, as we would expect them to need. They needed to rest for a little while. They had been working hard. And I would venture to guess that a part of the reason why the disciples withdrew was because they were weary of seeing the great need of the people that was before them. Because some of you have noticed this before, right? When you step out to meet a need, what usually happens is that somebody learns that you have the heart, that you have the ability to meet needs, and then all of a sudden those needs start to multiply in your life. For example, someone hears that you've helped a friend of his or hers with a bill that he could not pay. And they find that they too can't pay for their own bill. So what do they do? They come to you. Or maybe someone hears that your church has built a wheelchair ramp for someone who has a need in that area. They've seen that your church has a heart to help out with that sort of need. What do they do when they have a similar need? They come to your church wanting your help as well. When individuals know that you have the power and the compassion to meet needs, they seek you out. That's why Jesus was so rarely able to go anywhere without the crowds ultimately hemming him in because so many individuals were rallying around him with their needs. And surely the disciples, having been empowered by Jesus to go and do this same sort of ministry, were now at this time finding themselves in a similar sort of situation with swarms of people gathering around them, looking for help. If they were even going to be able to talk with one another in order to give an account of what they had done, as verse 10 suggests, they had to go somewhere private. But they also needed rest from this taxing sort of work. And so I can only imagine how they must have grown exasperated to see the crowds coming after them as they're trying to go and find a place of rest. But Jesus teaches his disciples, he teaches us an important lesson here in verse 12. When the crowd came to these weary disciples, Jesus did not send them away. Verse 11 says, he welcomed them. In fact, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, sheds a little more insight. For that's where we read, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. You see, so when, when Jesus' disciples say, send him away, send them away, send this great crowd away, in verse 12, Jesus says, you give them something to eat, in verse 13. Jesus has great compassion for those who are in need. It's that compassion that ultimately caused him to leave the comforts of heaven and to take on human flesh, being broken for us so that he might break the bonds of sin, of sin that he might 
break the bonds of shame which had so tightly held us. Jesus has this heart of compassion, this heart which will not send individuals away, this heart which welcomes the weary one, the one who is struggling in his or her life, the one who needs his help. He welcomes. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself in ministry feeling like I am just running low on energy. I notice a need, and then I say, you know, I just don't have the energy to deal with that problem right now. I just don't need this in my life right now. This is really going to cut into the time that I need for a little R&R, a little rest and relaxation. But Jesus teaches us an important lesson on compassion here. He teaches us that we should prioritize compassion over convenience. Welcoming crowds who wouldn't even allow you to eat because of the overwhelming burdens that they would bring to you would not be a very convenient sort of ministry. Giving up your time of rest to meet the needs of the sick and the lost is never convenient. But when Jesus models ministry for you and I, this is the sort of ministry that he models. And he models for us prioritizing compassion over convenience. And as we see these lessons from the Master today, I piece together a short but bold word of prayer that I want to invite each of you, each of you to pray with me as we seek to live these lessons out. And, and you see the first bold prayer that's there on the, the screen. And so you, would you just join me today in evaluating our own hearts and praying within ourselves this sort of prayer. Lord, give me a heart to care. Because that's all that we need. That's what Christ calls us to have, this heart of care. If we're going to be his agents of compassion here on the earth. And so, a lesson on compassion. That's the first sort of lesson on how to minister to those in need from this passage. Then we also see a lesson on commission. Jesus commands his disciples in verse 13, and he makes it clear that he had a plan for the dealing of the needs of these hungry people. And that plan involved a commission for his disciples. His plan to meet the needs of needy people was to use his people to meet those needs. Jesus had plans to entrust the meeting of this particular need to his followers. And while we could easily chastise the disciples here for their eagerness to send the people away, at least they were taking note of the needs that were around them, and at least they were trying to find a way to help out with those needs. Now, it's true that they probably had some self-directive motives of wanting to tend to their own exhaustion, but at least they also had this burden that the hungry crowds would be fed. But what they didn't realize in this moment was that Jesus was willing to lend his power to them so that they could lift that burden. So when the disciples say, let them go, Jesus says, you give. And there's such a wonderful picture of grace here, by the way. God offers his richest blessings to us free of cost. The world has grown to, we've grown accustomed to a world that ultimately says if you want something that is of any value, you've got to pay for it. 
And yet Jesus comes and gives of himself this bread of life without cost. He comes and gives of himself this thing which we could never really purchase on our own. The greatest of all rewards he brings to us freely. And the disciples say, ultimately, send these people away so that they can buy something. And Jesus says, you give them what they need. This miracle is such a rich picture of the bread of life who has come in order that all who might trust in him might freely receive of his eternal nourishment, of his eternal life. And my friends, this bread of life is for you without cost jesus has borne all the cost on himself he took the the wages of our sin upon himself as he was nailed to the cross of calvary he was executed in our place the just for the unjust so that we my friends might find life in him so that he might extend to us this eternal life this eternal bread which continues to nourish us for all of eternity my friends jesus has come to offer this to you free of cost and this is such a beautiful picture of that as jesus ultimately tells his disciples you give to them and i can't help but wonder if the disciples made some wrong assumptions about those who were in the crowd there were probably some people in this crowd who could not do what the disciples assumed they could do it's very likely that in a crowd of needy people this size Many individuals would not have had the means to acquire food or lodging. And it's worthwhile for us to consider here. Do we ever overassume the opportunities that are available to those who need ministry around us? Perhaps we say things, well, why don't like why don't they just get a job? Well, maybe they don't maybe they don't they have physical limitations of their body that would prevent them from doing that sort of thing. Or maybe we say, why don't they just exercise a little bit more wisdom with their finances? But maybe there are medical bills or maybe there are sick family members that we are unable to see. We tend to assume that everyone has the same privileges that you and I do. And oh, how often we want to send individuals away to other people and to other organizations like the government or to the the outreach center or to the food pantry to meet needs that we ourselves could be helping to meet and we tell the person who's struggling with depression go to the counselor and buy advice and we tell the person who's struggling with anxiety go to the doctor and buy medications and we tell the person who's overwhelmed with a heavy load go to the masseuse and buy a massage And we tell the person who doesn't know Jesus, go to the church and buy a pastor who will share the gospel with you. And our default mode of operation here is to say, this is more than I can deal with. But there's a question that we need to be asking every time we encounter a need, my friends. And the question is this, is this need not more than I can deal with, but is this need more than Jesus can deal with? And if it's not, then why would he not choose me to help meet this need? And so we need another prayer to add to our bold prayer before. Not just, Lord, give me a heart to care, but also, Lord, give me a burden to share. Because that's what Jesus does for his disciples here. And they find themselves ministering to others because that's his commission for them. 
So we've seen now a lesson on compassion, a lesson on commission. Now thirdly, let's look at a lesson on submission. When Jesus tells his disciples to feed this huge crowd, they, they begin to question the feasibility of his commission. They say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless, perhaps, we go to buy food for all these people. Five loaves and two fish. When the disciples checked around to see what supplies they had to minister to those who were in need, that was it. It was a little lad's lunch that he had shared with them. And that's all they had to feed, what Luke describes in verse 14 as 5,000 men. As if that wasn't enough, Matthew, in his account of this miracle, in Matthew 14, records that the number of 5,000 does not include the number of women and children who were there partaking in this miracle on that day. So if you tally up just as many women as you have the 5,000 men, and you assume that there are you know, a good number of families who have three or more kids who are present, we could possibly be talking on this day about a crowd as large as twenty to 25,000 people this was a huge crowd to give you a little bit of a comparison the maximum seating capacity of the greensboro coliseum is twenty-three thousand five hundred individuals we're talking potentially of a crowd that size can you imagine taking five loaves and two fish into the greensboro coliseum packed out grabbing the microphone and saying Okay, everybody, let me get your attention. Just want to let you know, uh, I've got your lunch here. You would expect that you would be the ridicule of a good number of folks, would you not? I mean, that really looks like an overwhelming sort of situation. Well, the other option that came to mind for the disciples was, was that they would have to pay for all of this food to feed these people out of their own means. And so they did a quick accounting to see what that would cost. And Philip, the disciple, said that not even 200 denarii, a denarius was a, a, a wage for an a individual day labor, not even 200 days worth of work would pay for this crowd and what they needed in this moment. Just a little bit of food. That's all they had. But as the old song goes, little is much when God is in it and these disciples were learning a lesson on submission to be god's instruments in this situation required a submissive faith they needed to trust what their eyes could not see yeah that's a tiny little bit of food but when it's yielded into the hands of a powerful god who has come in the flesh to show people eternal truths about bread which has no end my friends little can be much and that's very much what we see here and so as the disciples had already learned to do in so many other contexts when it just seemed like there was no path forward for them though they could not see the way forward they submitted to the master's command they saw this crowd and they sat this crowd down in a groups of about 50 men with their women and their children per jesus's instructions and then my friends then comes the amazing part it's there in verse 16 jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven that's ultimately an acknowledgement of where this power 
and the source of this miracle comes from. Looking up to heaven, he blessed them and he broke them and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, just a quick side note. This is one example of why we pray over our meals, many of us. We gather together around the table and we pray over our meals. And Jesus is giving a very visible example of that as he looks up to heaven and he speaks a blessing over this meal. And we talk about that too. We talk about saying the blessing. We talk about giving thanks. Those are essentially the same thing. Blessing is simply a matter of acknowledging where food came from. The word bless in the original Greek is the word eulogeo. It means to give thanks. At a funeral, you've heard of people talking about giving a eulogy. It's just people expressing gratitude for an individual who has passed on. John refers to this same event in his gospel using the verb eucharistio, which is the verb that we get the word eucharist from, which ultimately means giving thanks. So when we're talking about giving a blessing, we're just talking about giving thanks. And friends, you need to know that a great miracle happened here. Now I mentioned to you earlier that one of the reasons that Amy and I moved along from the church that we were a part of when we went to Woodbine as many years ago was because we noticed that the denomination had gotten away from biblical truths. And at one point, it was my job to recruit pastors to come and fill in at a time when we were without pastors. And I remember some of those pastors, even one who was a retired gentleman who had once pastored that church, was a good friend of mine. He was in his 70s, and I used to go to his house in my young 20s and have these deep theological discussions, which were a lot of fun. But I remember him preaching on this passage. And in his explanation of what happened, he had learned through theological liberalism to explain away anything that seemed to be supernatural with that which was natural. So in his explanation of this miracle, well, what must have happened is that, you know, as, as Jesus and his disciples sat people down and as everybody saw that there was a great need for people to be fed, well, people started pulling bread out of their own pockets and, you know, they started pulling out their own fish and everybody just kind of shared what they had and stopped holding it to themselves so that the multitudes were fed by the fact that people were now willing to be generous. So what he did is he broke this miracle of God down into a lesson on sharing. And my friends, I just want to tell you that Jesus did not come here to teach you what Barney the dinosaur could teach you, okay? There's something so much more powerful in what is happening here. What Jesus is literally doing in this moment is bringing matter into existence that did not previously exist. Jesus takes the bread and he keeps giving it to his disciples. This one through whom all things were made. Who for, apart from him nothing was made that has been made. We read in John chapter 1 is now making more things to meet the needs of people and this is nothing new for jesus my friends this is nothing new for him every time he healed a person who was blind he was creating new tissue that would function correctly every time he met the need of a withered limb he was creating a new limb but here this happens on such a mass proportion scale that there are 
these 20 to 25,000 perhaps individuals who are fed and are satisfied because of what he brings to exist out of nothing. My friends, we have a powerful God. And the miracle here is simply worded by Luke in the simplest of terms. He kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples to set before the people. And so now to our bold prayers thus far, I want to add one more. Not just, Lord, give me a heart to care, and Lord, give me a burden to share, but also, Lord, give me a faith to dare. Because that's what these disciples had to do. Jesus calls them to set this huge crowd down in groups of 50. And as they're doing that, what are they doing? They're explaining to the crowds, well, we're going to feed you. you. You mean with that little, that little bitty basket up there with, with five loaves of bread and, one, and, and two fish in it? You, you're going to feed all of us for that? Yeah, just sit down. We don't really know how he's going to do it. We know that the need is there. We know he's called us to do it. And so we're going to step forward in faith. We're going to be bold. We're going to have the faith to dare to do what he's called us to do. And that's what the disciples do here. They take this daring step. They divide these people up. This is daring faith in action. So we've seen a lesson on compassion, a lesson on commission, a lesson on submission. There's one final lesson at play here. It's this, a lesson of provision. In verse 17, we read that the people all ate and they were satisfied. These people were all filled up. All 20 to 25,000 perhaps of them are filled up at this point. And what's left when they get done? The disciples collect 12 baskets of the leftovers. 12 baskets. That's an interesting number, isn't it? 12 baskets. What else is there 12 of in this passage? 12 disciples. That's right. Do you see the lesson there? They came out with more than they started with. And I'm sure there was a moment of anxiety where the disciples said, hey man, if we give away our five loaves and our two fish, we're going to have nothing. If if we give away what we've got in our possession to Christ's ministry, then we're going to be left desolate ourselves. And yet, Jesus shows them in the collection of these 12 items that you can trust me with what I call you to use for my work. You can trust me. I have the ability to more than abundantly meet your needs. Let go of that which is your own and use it for my glory, and I will take care of you. Do you see that lesson of provision here in these verses? And my friends, you should know that there's nothing we sacrifice in serving him that he cannot restore. In fact, the disciples find that Jesus leaves them with more than they started out with. So let me give you this fourth bold prayer. Lord, give me a heart to care. Lord, give me a burden to share. Lord, give me the faith to dare. And finally, Lord, give me reminders that you are aware. Ultimately, this pattern that Jesus follows here in Luke chapter 9 is the same pattern we see in Luke chapter 22. When he gathers with his disciples, as Jesus is carrying this miracle out, we see that he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, 
He breaks the bread, and then he gives the bread to his disciples. That's the same thing he did at the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. He gathers with his disciples around the table. He takes the bread. He ultimately blesses the bread. He breaks the bread, and then he gives the bread. Even in Luke chapter 24, we come to this account of Jesus after his resurrection walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they ask him to stop. Jesus has warmed their hearts richly by explaining to them all the things that have been occurring in their day, but they didn't recognize him. But when they sit down with Jesus in Luke chapter 24 for a meal, he follows the same pattern. He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. And then he gives it to them. And they come in that moment to recognize who he is. And my friends, I just want to tell you that Jesus is the bread of life. What he exhibits in taking and blessing and breaking and giving is ultimately a picture of what he has done in the gospel. Because you see, my friends, Jesus has taken upon himself human flesh. Through his sinless life, he has blessed this human flesh in a way that you and I could not do on our own. But then he has broken that flesh as he himself was broken, as he was bruised, as he was beaten, as he was executed. But he now gives to us of himself eternal life. And when we gather here at the Lord's table, we are gathering with a memory of these rich blessings which he offers to us. So as we contemplate this miracle today of how Jesus met a very practical sort of need, I hope you'll take this opportunity as we gather around the table here today to remember that he is the one who gives so richly to those who are in need.